So good morning again to you. I want to welcome you to Wendover Hills, especially if this is your first time with us. We're just blessed to have you here uh, this morning. As you can see, we're, we're kind of a mobile church. Uh, we don't own this school. We uh, set up each week, and they're blessed, uh, we're blessed enough that they want us here, which is wonderful. Um, but uh, we actually have a piece of land, and uh, church this week, we've got that full approval from the county for the site plans. So uh, we are ready to roll. Yeah, so we're blessed for that. Um, so if you are, are new with us and you, you are curious, just run down Windover Hills, or excuse me, Windover Avenue uh, on your way towards like the Palladium and you'll see a sign on your left-hand side and that will one day be us uh, in a permanent home and we're, we're excited about it. So, but we're honored that you chose to come and worship with us this morning and to be here and I hope already you've experienced just the power of the Spirit and what, what, uh, what God has to offer. You know, on Easter Sunday, 2,000 years ago, there was two disciples, and they were walking on a road, to, uh, a road to Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were confused. They were trying to figure it out. You see, two, just two days prior, their leader, Jesus of Nazareth, had been killed, and they had thought that this was the one that God had prophesied about. This was the Messiah sent to save the world— but now he was dead. And then they heard this report from uh, two women who, in fact, said, no, no, Jesus is alive. And so now they're very confused and perplexed. They didn't know what to believe. So maybe you're visiting Wendover Hills this morning, and, and maybe you're a little uncertain about what you believe about Jesus Christ. Was he only a good man? Uh, was he a, a religious teacher and leader? Or was he indeed the only way to God? According to a recent Barna research poll, 92% of Americans believe Jesus was a real person who actually lived. In other words, like he was a historical figure. But 56% of Americans believe that he committed sins like other people. So he was just like us, no different than any of us. Yet the Bible actually says he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. But 56% of Americans don't believe that. 52% of Americans believe that he was God. So I want to ask you today, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? And this is what I want to do. I want to walk through these four realities of Jesus. And I want to let that just help us really decide who this Jesus was. So uh, if you came in this morning and for some reason you didn't happen to get uh, sermon notes. Um, I'm going to fill in the blanks. We're going to walk through some of these notes. And uh, this is actually um, whoever's back there, Pastor Anson, whoever, they love this part of the service because they get to run all over. And uh, you know, we're, we're a little bigger on Easter service. They really get to run. So um, if you would be so gracious to slip up your hand, if you would like one of these, uh, they will come running them to always down in the front, Ray, always somebody. Uh, then uh, if you'd like these, feel free, and they'll, come, they'll bring one to your, your seat. Um, here's the first reality of Jesus. The central claim of Jesus is that he was God in the flesh. He was God in the flesh. Here's what the Bible actually has to say about it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the— and, excuse me, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the word, word, out, and that word actually is, in the Greek, is a word logos, which actually refers to Jesus. 
And I want you to substitute in the word Jesus. Here's how it would read. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Have you ever wondered why God would need to send Jesus in the first place? In the beginning of the world, God created the world, and he created it in perfect harmony. It was without sin. It didn't know disobedience. It didn't know disconnection. It didn't know broken relationship at all. He created humankind in his own image. He put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, look, this is all for you. Enjoy. Be blessed. One thing don't mess around with, with the one tree at the center. But like we do often, we kind of want to play our own God and play our own role. And so what they choose, chose to do was to disobey God. They did their own thing. And we learn because of that in his word that he puts them out of the garden. You see, the consequences of that sin was separation from God. And it's really no different. You see, any disobedience is sin. There's always broken relationship that comes with that. This is actually a bit uh, countercultural in our postmodern generation, in our postmodern understanding. We're actually rewriting our understanding of some of these things. But it's been the Bible message since the beginning this brokenness that sin often separates, always separates us from God. It wasn't God's plan. So, how would God restore humanity to Himself? The only way was to sin part of himself. He sent Jesus. He's the one without sin to bridge and make this connection between humanity and a holy, righteous God. Jesus, you might know, was born of a virgin named Mary in Bethlehem. He was raised with Joseph, who was a carpenter, and Jesus grew up in their home. At 30, he began his ministry to save the world. And he chose 12 men actually to accompany him and help him carry out this mission. And after spending three years with them, these men declared that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. But there's, you know, many religious leaders in Jesus' day that did not believe this claim that Jesus was indeed God in the flesh. Take a look at this scripture, John chapter 10, Jesus speaking, I am the Father, or one, Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you want to stone me? In other words, he's like, I've done a lot of great things. I've done great miracles. Which of these miracles offended you the most? This is what they said. We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And so they didn't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. In fact, most Jewish people today would not believe and own that, that belief system. Other religions don't believe it as well. Uh, Islam believes that Jesus was a great prophet, and he was sinless, but he wasn't divine, which means he wasn't God. Hinduism believes that Jesus was a great teacher, and he was actually one of many incarnations of God. Mormons actually believe that Jesus was the brother of Lucifer, and that they were the physical and spiritual offspring of God. Buddhism believes that he was one of many teachers who may have reached enlightenment. But the question for us today at Wendover Hills is, what do we believe? I want to tell you, uh, as a church— Wendover Hills, what we believe is we believe that Jesus is indeed who he claimed to be in his word, that he is God in the flesh. 
And we believe that that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We believe that he's the only way to God and to have right relationship with God. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And that eternal life is possible through him and through faith in him. We also believe so strongly that life, the fullness of life on this earth, starts with a relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit coming into our life and dwelling with us daily. So why is it important what we believe about Jesus anyway? Because what we believe gives us clarity. When we believe and we know about Jesus, we know for certain then that his claim, he is what he claimed to be. The second reality of Jesus we want to look at this morning is the central proof of Jesus is that he rose from the grave. Now, on that Easter morning, two women uh, were on their way to the tomb when an angel appeared to them. This is what he said, Don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples. So, what's the proof of the resurrection? What evidence do we really have? Well, first of all, we have the execution. All four Gospels, actually, in God's Word, talk about the execution, the killing of Jesus. We find, actually, that other biblical scholars, Paul, Peter, pick up this theme as well. Five additional ancient Hebrew texts outside of the Bible actually speak that Jesus of Nazareth was, in fact, executed. Secondly, we have his early followers. I always think the greatest proof of the resurrection of Jesus are these changed lives. Listen, these, these gospel writers and these disciples, they went from petrified, feared guys in the upper room to street preachers on downtown Jerusalem nearly overnight. And God used them that way. The third evidence is the empty tomb. Even the enemies of God declared that the tomb was empty. Their question was, well, how did it get empty? Fourth, we have the evidence of witnesses. We learn that Jesus appeared to 500 people, 500 people on 12 different occasions after he rose from the dead. They talked with him. They ate with him. They spent time with him and touched him. Chuck Colson, you may know, who served in President Nixon's administration, and he was actually sent to prison for the Watergate scandal. Now, I'm a little teetering on the edge, uh, just history-wise, of knowing that, so I had to research and look up a bit more about that. So if you're younger, you can do that later today. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Here's what he said. Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed the truth for over 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, or put into prison. They wouldn't have endured that if it wasn't true. On the other hand, he says, Watergate embroiled 12 of those powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. But if you're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years, I would tell you it's absolutely impossible. The resurrection of Jesus, we believe so strongly, is a true fact of history. It connects our faith and who we are in Christ. And Jesus, in that moment, he defeats humanity's greatest enemy, which is death. And that gives us confidence. Confidence to live in the name of Jesus Christ. 
You see, once Jesus defeated death, we find that his disciples, I mean, his followers, they live in total confidence. Look what the Apostle Paul actually wrote in the book of Philippians. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, what Paul had figured out, what he realized when Jesus conquered death, either way, he wins. He wins. And we can have the same confidence. You know, the Bible actually says all things are possible. All things are possible with those who love God. They're possible. That means no struggle is too big. Nothing you're dealing with or going through too big for God. No relationship is too painful, no matter what happened in it. No problem too difficult. Listen, whatever you're dealing with today, whatever struggle and pain, whatever you brought in here with you today, God says, I'm big enough. In fact, I want to encourage you this morning to just release it and let it go to God. I mean, how's it worked out for you so far in holding on to it and dealing with it on your own? I want to release it. God can handle it. And you can have confidence. That's what the disciples learned right away. And we, we see this proof in their testimonies, in their confidence. Hey, the third reality of Jesus I want to talk to you about is the central message of Jesus, and this is so important, is that he accepts us as we are. He accepts you just as you are. The Bible says this, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. The Bible also says this about God. God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. While we really, like we had no interest in God, right? I don't care really about the Christian life. While we were still that, Christ died for us. It's powerful. All right, let's imagine a scenario for, together for just a moment. Let's say uh, there is like a serious disease outbreak in the United States, all right? Seriously, like, I mean, like we're heading for zombie apocalypse type of thing, all right? I know that's the last thing you would have thought we're talking about on Easter Sunday. But, uh, but let's say that's what we're headed for, right? And the government decides we're, oh, we're going to fight this, right? I mean, we're going to do everything within our power here. And so they come up with a vaccine, but there's not enough for everyone, right? So they have to create a criteria for who actually gets the vaccine and who, I guess, gets to be a zombie. So they begin with, like, the president and his family. You know, it always starts at the top. And the high government officials. And then they give some to doctors and nurses and policemen. Um, they, they decide, well, let's eliminate drug dealers and prisoners and prostitutes and even the homeless, they say. That are out. They have some left over. So they finally decide, okay, anyone, like, under 40... Sorry, some of you, you're, you're out already. Anyone under 40 in good health, all right, and you're financially secure, and you were born in the U.S. of A., you get the vaccine. You know, that's how we look at life sometimes. Like, uh, we look at it like who, the, the, who should have and who shouldn't have. And we create criteria for all kinds of things. And this criteria says yes to some and no to others. But here's the good news this morning. The good news of, of Jesus' message is that with Jesus, there is no criteria. Like, there's no criteria. It's available for every single person who embraces his grace and love. No one is turned away from Christ. Listen, this is important news. Because you might be sitting here this morning, and you just feel, you haven't been able to articulate it, but you feel like, man, I'm just turned away from everything in life. I, I just can't keep anything straight, it feels like. 
you might have even gone to the point where you just have said, I, I'm just kind of worthless. And Christ has begged you to see differently because he has said, I, I accept everyone in any situation. You know, the flip side is there's a group that's equally as dangerous. Everything is seemingly going well in your life. You seem to be provi- been provided for in all areas. And so you don't see a need for God and a need for Christ. In the same way Jesus is saying, I'm just begging you, begging you to receive and accept my grace and love. It doesn't matter what your past is, where you're from, what your income, what your color of your skin, your nationality. It doesn't even matter if you're a Duke fan. That's a stretch. Everyone, anyone can come to know God through Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, when you look at Jesus, do you see a judge that you might need to be afraid of? Or do you see a friend who accepts you right where you're at and a Savior who offers hope? You see, Jesus, he accepts you where you're at. And here's the wonderful news. He loves you so much, he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to transform you and empower you and make you in to what he's designed you to be. And you know what? This gives us hope. Hope. Uh, A letter was dated February 6, 1974. It was addressed to the U.S. government. Here's what it says. I'm sending $10 for the blankets I stole when I was in World War II. My mind could not rest. Sorry, I'm late. It was signed by an ex-GI, and here there was a postscript, and it said, I want to be ready to meet God. You know what? This soldier was not alone in his guilt. In fact, that letter is literally one of thousands that have been sent to the U.S. government since 1811. Over $4 million has been returned and deposited in what's known as the conscience fund. Everybody wants a clear conscience, right? You know, and sometimes... We struggle to battle against our past, the choices we've made, the things that have happened to us, the struggle to overcome past decisions and mistakes. That's kind of common to all of us. But here's the good news for you this morning in Christ. Your past is not permanent. Your future is not fatal. You need to own that and know that. You see, the Bible says when anyone accepts Christ, that means when you choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible actually says you're a new person. The old, the past, that's gone. And the new has come. That means when we see problems, guess what? God sees possibilities. And when we see obstacles, God, uh, God sees these opportunities. When we see fear, God says, look, I'm stronger than fear. I see a moment for your faith to rise. And when we see failure, and we deal with failure, do we not? God looks at us and says, my child, look, I've got a fantastic future for you. You don't have to live in that failure. I'll redeem that in a heartbeat. The good news this Easter is this. Jesus accepts us the way we are, but he will transform us into what we can be. Here's a fourth reality. The central mission of Jesus is that he pursues people. Pursues people. The Bible says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Or to say it a different way, Jesus came to pursue people. Why? Because people matter to God. If you get in the Bible and you just read, you will see all throughout, people matter. The whole story is about God interacting with his creation. People matter. People who may be far from God, they especially matter to God. 
And because people far from God matter to God, to God, guess what? People far from God matter to us here at Windover Hills. In fact, here's why we exist. We exist to help one more person find their way back to God. That's our purpose. It's our mission. It's our value in the kingdom. And guess what? This gives us purpose. I believe my purpose on this earth is to help as many people as I can meet and know the grace, the love, and the redemption of Jesus Christ. And then one day go on to heaven and hopefully take as many people with me as possible. My mission. That's why we love our neighbors and care about our neighbors. That's why we love to get in conversations with people and talk about our faith and tell them about what Jesus has done in our life, who I was before and now who I am. That's why we invite people to church, experience a loving community of believers. And you know, it's why we pray. And we pray. It's why we pray for our family, our coworkers, our friends, our coaches, our teammates, our neighbors, and such the list goes on. The Bible tells this story about a shepherd who was tending sheep, and he was so concerned about this one sheep. Notice how he responds when one of them is, uh, is lost. He says this, If a man has, owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off, will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go look for the one that wandered off? I mean, think of that. He leaves 99 and goes and looks for one. I mean, I, I'm a father of three. I go to the park with my three kids. I come back with two. I've done a pretty good job, I think. I mean... In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. The shepherd left everything to look for the one, to pursue the one until the one is found. And you know what? God doesn't want any of us to be lost either. Like he's passionately pursuing us all the time, seeking us out. He wants to experience what life close to him is all about. God wants you to know the grace that he offers. He, he wants you to know the love that he has for you. Like he wants you to know the redemption, the return to wholeness that he has sacrificed to give you. And that's why this morning in this place and really in churches all over the world, God is pursuing people. Uh, people that were prayed for, people that were invited. And I believe people who did not show up here or any church by accident. Maybe this morning you would just say, um, Tom, truth be, I wandered away from God. I, I wandered away from him a long time ago. It just didn't seem to make sense to me. Or it's just recently, Tom, I kind of walked away from this and wandered away entirely, trying to make sense of it all. I want you to know this morning God still loves you. Like he's crazy about you. And he's pursuing you even right here, right now. Maybe honestly you would say this morning, Tom, I, I've just, I've been hurt by the church. Growing up or in my past, I, I was just hurt. There was a person, there was a, uh, a way somebody did something, whatever the case may be. Maybe this morning you would say, I'm turned off by judgmental attitudes and narrow minds and meaningless rules. Can I tell you, so am I. And so is God. God doesn't want to have anything to do with that. God would say, that's, that's like man-made religion stuff. But let's be honest. A lot of people confuse religion with God, and they walk away from both. 
And this morning, I want to invite you back. That's really the purpose, is to invite you back. To say this morning, look, you don't have to run down here and and fall on the altar this morning, but my invitation is to invite you back to the faith. To invite you back investigating what God has to offer your life. Invite you back to what it would be like if if you said, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to see what his grace, his love, and redemption, his wholeness would bring to my life. And so this morning, that's my invitation to you. I want to pray for you in just a moment. And um, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, uh, I just want to allow you to do some business with God. You don't need me to manipulate you into doing anything. I believe so strongly you sitting there talking to God in your seat is, is all you need. And so I want to invite you into that this morning. Invite you back to a God who's crazy about you, who loves you, and he's pursuing you right here this morning. Would you bow with me and let me pray for you? Father, this morning, I want to just ask, Lord, that your ears would be wide open. And Father, my, my invitation to those who are, come, who are here before us, those who, I've, um, who are part of this church family, those who are friends, that, those many that we got to, to meet for the first time today, for all of us, that the invitation would be, an invitation back to God. For some of you, you would say, I've wandered off and I've just not been near this. I thought it was of value, but uh, I, just, I just put it aside. For some, it's as innocent as a busy schedule taking over and, and that started to own us. Father, this morning, would the invitation be, welcome home, welcome back to Christ. Can I just give you just a few seconds of silence to say whatever you'd like to say to God. Say, God, receive me back. Or, God, thank you for your grace, even though I've wandered from you. Whatever you want to say, you don't need to think in terms of anything deeply, academically, theological. You can just say it as it'll flow and roll out of your mouth. Let's say it silently to God. I'll give you a few seconds. And so, Father, now, um, if everything we believe is accurate and we're, we're so confident in it, you will receive whatever was, was offered to you right now. Or whoever received the invitation to, to come back to you, God. Right now, you say there's new life. That undoubtedly right now they're a child of God. And that you love us so much that now you want to start this journey and road and the path with us. We thank you for it. Thank you for the blessing of your son, for the celebration of this day, for your grace, for your love, for your redemption. Thank you that you're crazy about us, a love that often doesn't make sense to us. We thank you in your son's name. Amen. Well, amen. Well, I thank you for the opportunity to just open up God's Word. Um, I sat here at 8 o'clock this morning, and I prayed for you, Uh, really. I I walked around. I didn't know your face or your name at the time, but I prayed for you and that 
the Lord would, would interact and encounter you today. Hey, there's a lot of great ways to kind of connect in and learn more about Christ here at Wendover Hills. The church is just a tool. It's just a tool God uses to help you have a deeper, growing relationship with him. And so uh, Pastor Anson is going to share a, a few of those things that are coming up that you might be able to connect into. Actually, I got a whole sermon Oh, good stuff. Mother's Day. We're going to have a great celebration that day. 